This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Scripture reading this morning is John 4, 1 through 42. It can be found on page 888 of the uh, Bibles in your pew backs in front of you. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming that neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white with harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that it is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We are continuing in John chapter 4. Um, as I opened this text this week and looked at it, I um, read it and I felt maybe what you might have just felt is that there's so much in this passage that's beautiful. It's full of doctrines, it's full of history, it's full of humanity, it's full of divinity. Like we, we could go a lot of places this morning in this passage and um, be here for quite a long time. In fact, I was, as I was studying and going through, I was like, man, you could do an entire series just on this one chapter, and, and that's true. And so I was like, God, what do you want to do today? Like, what would you like to do with your people, and, and what should they hear as we are marching through the book of John? And we're seeing Jesus encounter all these people, and we're seeing all these people get, get it wrong, like who he is and what his purpose is and what he's doing. They're just getting it wrong in every encounter. And then Jesus speaks, and he creates clarity. Clarity for those that have ears and eyes to see. He, he creates clarity. Others get more confused. My hope this morning is that you would see the person and the work of Jesus in such a normal way, in such a normal way that you would have no option but to see the power of the magnificent Christ in your everyday life. Like that's, that's kind of what I've been praying this week, that the big idea is that Jesus has an all-satisfying gift for everyone who will receive it. He has an all-satisfying gift for everyone who will receive it, and that's really what we're after this morning. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you um, for the blessing it is for us to just encounter this morning this story, to see in living color um, Jesus walking this, this earth and encountering the lowest of low the degenerates, those that have utterly failed at life and, and, and here you are in the midst of their darkness and their shame and, and bringing light and love through the gospel. And so Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to that gift this morning. And Lord, that you would um, take away our shame and that we would hear your words of life in a very personal way. Lord, we pray that we... We know that that can only be done in you, and, and God, we ask for it this morning in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. The very first marriage crisis that I had to deal with as a pastor um, was by far the worst. 
It was by far the worst, so I tell uh, young pastors, hey, it only gets better from here. Um, well, that's not true. But, um, I, and so I encountered in this, in this marriage crisis this woman that we read about in, in chapter 4. A couple came to me in our city, and they explained that the wife had committed adultery. She'd become unfaithful, and I thought, okay, let's, let's figure this out. Let's get to the bottom of this. Like, what caused this? What happened? Let's, you know, I'm just thinking we've got to walk through forgiveness. Like, maybe, maybe a miracle could happen in the midst of this, and, and, and God could redeem this story. And, like, I, that's, like that's just my, my fix-it nature sort of went in. I could figure this out. It's like a Rubik's Cube, and we could just, like, figure it out, right? Like, that's, that's what I, the energy that I brought to the table, and, and, and maybe, and maybe, like, where it's not possible to figure it out, like, maybe just God would break in and, and do something miraculous. But to my surprise, as we started to talk, she actually wasn't sorry. And she had no plan of where she was going next, and, and she still lived in the house and slept in the same bed, and, like, she just, she had just given up. She'd just given up on life and their marriage, and she'd just like, whatever. Like, she had failed, and she looked at her husband, and she said, hey, if he were honest, he would know why I did this. He would, if he were honest, he would admit that we've been desperately unhappy for a long time. And that's who we encounter this morning in this passage, we encounter a woman that Jesus is talking to who's desperately unhappy, who, who has survived five failed marriages, five failed marriages, and he encounters this Samaritan woman, and life has not gone the way that she had planned and thought it would go. And that disappointment and that anger and that big fat void that had developed of pain and regret and shame and all of that sitting at this well at noon encountering Christ. And Jesus this morning tells this woman, he tells her something very important. We need to get to it right away. Look at verse 10 with me. He tells her something really important. We're going to get to it right away, skip ahead a little bit. And in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This morning, I hope you can see in this encounter, ultimately, that Jesus has a gift for each and every one of us. God has a gift for discouraged people who have continuously failed at life, at making our lives work, who are exhausted in trying, who are disappointed in all the outcomes. And his gift this morning to us is twofold. We see in the scriptures, it's twofold, and, and here it is. He has truth, God has truth this morning, to satisfy your mind. God has truth this morning in his word to satisfy your mind and your intellect and how you think. And God has 
an experience with him to satisfy your heart. That's the gift that he offers this woman. That's the gift he offers you this morning. It's not just truth. He has an experience with him, with the incarnate living Christ. He has an experience that satisfies our hearts. Listen to A.W. Tozier in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, to most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He's a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate. But he remains personally unknown to the individual. He must be, they say, therefore we believe that he is. Others do not even go so far as this. They know of him only by heresy. They have never bothered to think the matter out for themselves, but have heard about it from others. And sometimes they have heard about it wrongly. So like, what Tozer's saying is like, hey, God has a gift in himself to share with us, and this is the gift that Jesus sets with this woman and offers living water, that he has truth that will satisfy the chasing of every idolatry and every uh, ideology in our lives, and he has an experience, a gift of experience in him that is what we're always longing for in every relationship that we foul up. It's one thing to know the doctrine of forgiveness. It's another thing to be eternally forgiven in the person of Christ. It's one thing to know the doctrine of grace and get it all right in our mind and and get it all right in the book of Romans and get it all right and laid out in an outline. It's another thing to experience grace being given to us lavishly by Christ. And and to feel his acceptance and to feel the security of God's grace wrapping around us. It's another thing to experience that. So he he doesn't skirt the truth while he provides himself an experience. That's what we get to see. God has a gift for desperate people to give us the satisfaction that we've been longing for at the level of our minds and at the level of our hearts to know and experience the ultimate reality, which is God Almighty, full of grace and full of truth. Is the living God satisfying to you today? Is the living God satisfying to you today? He's eager to be. He's eager to be. In this moment, in this, in this holy gathering, in this sanctuary, in the next 30 minutes, he's eager to be. Are you receptive to Jesus Christ to meet you and to give you this gift today? <laughs> like, that's, that's what we encounter in the scriptures at the well. That's what we encounter. And there's other things that are packed into this. Now, I'm not going to touch. There's many themes. Some of them that you might see here are Jesus' mission is taking the path that God has given him. Like we see that. I don't know if you heard that in the reading. Like Jesus' mission is taking the path that God has given him. He's a witness and a model for us in that. Jesus' mission, too, actually is strategic. We'll see that a little bit. But it's, all, it's always about people. So there's strategy. Jesus is a super strategic person, although he just doesn't walk around talking about it. 
But we see it all the time, his strategy of, of what he's doing in God's plan. But even though there's strategy, it's about people. It's about people. It's about Samaria and, and him encountering a Samaritan who's outside of the Jewish covenant, right? Like just, just outside of it. It's strategic in the gospel as we see the New Testament play out. But it's about one woman. It's about her. And we don't know her name. We don't know who she is. We, we think a lot of the times that we don't know a name, it's because they were still alive and the writer of the New Testament book was trying to protect them. Or we see somebody like Nicodemus who's named, he, he might have been dead by the time they started writing the book. We don't, we don't know why. We don't know her name, but it was about her. Jesus came to expose darkness and sin. He came to do that. That's what he does in this. You see that as this theme. He, 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 he exposes darkness wherever he goes. He says the truth. He calls out wickedness, and he doesn't care who is the possessor of that wickedness. He'll call him out. He's no respecter of persons. Jesus does that. I think people sometimes want to read the Gospels and see Jesus sitting with the, the sinner and the tax collector and whatever, and they lose sight of the fact that Jesus, wherever he went, was a light that exposed darkness, and he was always offering a better way. And people are radically changed by the gospel. We'll see that this morning also. Let's look back at verse 1 through 3. We, we, we sort of have this transitional sentences in, in the first part of it. And, and what's happening is they're, they're making this, transi this transition. And it's, it's talking about how he gets on his way. So he's leaving Jerusalem and he's, he's heading north. He's heading up. Um, and it says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Check this out, verse 2. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples. I mean, here's the truth. The Pharisees were lying, and he's correcting. <laughs> the writer's actually correcting the narrative. He's like, nope, the disciples were doing it. Jesus wasn't even baptizing them. And he left Judea, Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria it says he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria. So listen, Jesus leaves. He's heading to Galilee. So this whole little bit we have is the story of his trip to Galilee. And so the, 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 the passage here corrects the narrative, and there's a potential controversy with Jesus versus John the Baptist. And the Pharisees come in, they're like, hey, he's baptizing a ton of people. Right? Like, tries to stir it up. We saw that last week. And then even as Jesus is sort of heading out of town, he's like, no, nah, wasn't, it wasn't me. It was my disciples that were doing that. He, he corrects the narrative, and he leaves for Galilee adverting the crisis. You see the strategy in that? Like, that's just good leadership, right? Like, that's just great leadership. But it says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a map of Israel or ever been there, but but my desired route, if I was going from Jerusalem to Galilee, is not through Samaria. In fact, it definitely wouldn't have been theirs. They would have headed east, and they would have went up the Jordan Valley, and then they would have went into Galilee. They would have bypassed Samaria. Because Samaria was full of people who were Jews, who then interloped and mixed with the Babylonians, and they, 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 they gave up a lot of elements of their faith, and they syncretized 
to the secular world, and they sort of gave up on a lot of the promises of God. They didn't want to build the wall and the temple. Samaritans were like dogs to Jews, right? Like they, they did not like them. They were unfaithful, they were syncretists, and they would do anything to get around there and go, go away. So why did he have to go through? It wasn't geographic. It's because God had a plan for him. Because Jesus had an engagement with someone at a well. That's why he went. And it, what's fun is if you get into the Greek here, Jeff, like if you get into the Greek, It'll actually tell you because it says he had to, to leave and then you, you, you combine those two words and it'll actually help you sort this out and see that he actually didn't have to go through geographically, but he purposefully had to go. He purposefully had to go through in order to honor his father, in order to do what he was supposed to do. That's, that's why he went. And he gets there and he encounters this woman, verse seven. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to buy food. And, 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 and what we're seeing here is that um, we're given this picture of this appointment, right? Like we, we got this um, Jacob's well, it's the seventh hour, that, or sixth hour, it's about noontime. So everybody's already been to get the morning water. They haven't come to get the evening water. The place is probably pretty empty. And Jesus is tired and he's propped up by the well. And verse eight tells us, if we look ahead there, verse eight tells us that, 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 that his disciples went into town. They went into town to get some Hawaiian brothers because DoorDash didn't work. So they went into town. They were gone. He's just sitting there by the well. And here comes this lady. Here comes this Samaritan woman who's coming out there. And she's coming out there because she doesn't want to talk to anybody. Because being her is really hard to be. And she, she props down. And we got the why he's there, he's, he's doing the Father's will. We got the when, it's noon. We got the where, like he's, we got all that. But, but, but what's gonna happen now? What's gonna happen? And he says, verse seven, give me a drink. Give me a drink. What might have happened if Jesus doesn't engage her? If he doesn't say anything to her, he just sits there. She just looks at him sheepishly. It's just this most awkward event. She's not going to talk to him. He's a rabbi, right? Like he's a Jew. She's not going to talk to him. He's inapproachable. She's lost in who she is. She's lost. She's cut off. And Jesus says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you... A Jew asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. You see the distance she continues to take. Like, she's just like, oh, give me a drink. Like, just distance, a continued distancing of herself, right? Like, it's kind of, it's not rude, but it might as well be rude. Its effectiveness is there, right? Like, if you came up to me and said, hey, Orion, I hear that you are of Native American descent, and I said, yes, my, yeah, I am. And you said, well, my ancestors persecuted you, right? Like, that's, the, that's what happens here. He's like, he's like, give me this water. And she's like, whoa, 
I'm Samaritan, you're a Jew, right? Like, that, that's what happens. It's a distancing. How is it that you ask a, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus answers her. He answers her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I don't know how those words would have hit her, but I can only imagine that they unsettled her. They shuffled her cards. And, and what she did is what I think I did as God's grace approached me in my fallen state where God's grace came and touched me at times in my life and she has this very human reaction. Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water from with and the well is deep. Like he says something that's in contrast to what's there. It clearly doesn't mean anything at the bottom of that well and her response is logistical, right? You see that? Like her response is logistical. And this is something we do with God. This is something that you and I do with God all the time. God offers us hope. He offers us truth. He offers us something. And our earthly minds cannot conform to God's plan. So we point out the logistics, right? We do that. We, we point out the logistics. We say, God, I can't do that. I got a mortgage. God, I can't do that. I got kids. God, I have very little time. I can't do that. And, and God's, God's saying, listen, I have a gift for you. That's not what I'm talking about. You know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually trying to do something, and you're so good at, 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 at logistics and being a logistical expert to keep my gifts out of your hand. That's what's happening. We are logistical experts at life to keep God's generous gifts out of our hands. And the only reason is because we're afraid of what it would mean. We're, we're, our hands are grasping something else and God's like, I have these gifts. I want them to go into your hands, but they're full. And what if I told you we do this all the time? Would you believe that? Would you believe that? I had a dream about, um, this is probably because Maverick came out and I you know, uh, just love that movie and grew up watching Top Gun, but I had a dream one night about um, just planes landing on, on a deck on an aircraft carrier and, and the, like, the, the danger and the, like, just trying to get that cord out. And I don't, I don't know how any, any of that really works, um, but, like, but it's like that's what's happening here. It's like she's treating God like he's this, this fighter plane that's just like zooming in and, 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 and we do the same thing, just throwing the cord, hoping to catch something. And reality is God's the biggest supply plane in the universe. And he can land anywhere in our lives and he can hover over our messes and he's generous and he's rich and he has everything and he just loves to give these gifts. He just loves to give them and we're so good at not getting them. We're so good at not getting them. But it's not because of the supply. 
And it's not because of the willingness, because here a rabbi takes the, the road less travel. He gets flack from his boys. They're not going to understand for a good year or two what was happening there. And God is so amazingly generous. He keeps giving. In reality, God's gift um, of grace and love is everything we're pursuing. It's like the finish line we're pursuing, but we'll never get there. So he longs for us to set out our arms like a receiving party. He longs for us to do that so that he can take away our shame. Imagine the story of this young woman. Imagine five. It's hard to recover from one marriage that has failed. By God's grace, too, five, five times in this woman's life, she has loved and it has gone terribly wrong. So much so that now she's just doing something, right? Like she's just, I don't know what this is. It's not a marriage. She's living with some guy and she is, she is chasing something that she'll never get. But God offers her something different. And in his grace, verse 13, he goes on to say, hey, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternity. He doesn't pay attention to her sidesteps and all of her little tricks and games that she's playing and her pushing him away. He just continues to pursue her and he offers her truth that will satisfy her mind. He's like, listen, you drink of this water, you'll never long for that other thing again. He's talking about this spring of water. And listen, there's a difference between a spring and a well. A well pulls the groundwater in steadily and then goes dry and you have to dig another well. He's like, listen, what I'm offering is a spring. It'll flood your life. There's no limited supply. And I provide that. Wells are dug by men. Right? Like he's offering her a contrast to all of her paradigm, all of her worldview, all of her religiosity. He's offering her a contrast. And this is pointing at the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in the life of the believer. For everyone who has proclaimed the name of Christ, repented of their sins, and believed Jesus, died and rose again, you are filled with the power of this Spirit. It is a stream, is a living water welling up in you to eternal life. Not just then, but some now, eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come out to draw. Like she's just not there yet, right? She's just not seeing it yet. She's like, okay, give me this water. But, but what I love about her words is like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm, I, it's, they're exciting. She's getting excited about something, right? She cares about something, maybe for the first time. She's like, sir, give me this water. She's still trying to do self-management. She's still very self-aware. She's talking about, man, I, it'd be great to not come out to this well again. You know, all these people just make fun of me. 
sounds good to her. She's not ready yet, but he's chipping away with the good news of the gospel. Even in this minute, I can like, um, I can remember as, an, as a non-believer in Jesus, I can remember times where God was active in my life. Now, I didn't know it then. I, I didn't perceive it then, no way. But now I can look back and it's like Jesus was there just chipping away at these barnacles of deadness that were around my heart. Like he was sort of getting me ready, pursuing and doing his work on my heart. That's what, that's what I see here. And I see just this little bit of like desire for her that comes alive. It sounded good to her. <laughs> it sounded good to her. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, call your husband. It's like, she's not ready, so what does Jesus do? He doesn't just offer her, like, a lot more grace and, like, fancy, f fruity, beautiful words, does he, right? He, he says this, hey, go call your husband and, and come here. Like, he just exposes her sin and, and, and everything she's living with in that moment. He, 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 she's so self-aware that he's like, okay, I, I got to cut down to the chase here. The woman answered him, I have no husbands. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. So Jesus reaches into her life with his sovereign knowledge. He's like, let me tell you who you are. I've been trying to show you who I am. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who you are. And he convicts her in her sin and her response to that in verse 19 is, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> sir, I it's like, it's kind of like a stand-up shtick, you know? It's like, uh, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, right? She's like, all of a sudden, her mind's like, okay, again, separation. She's trying to, she's trying to fit it into her box. Like, okay, there are prophets in the world. Yeah, people can do that. And then she turns in verse 20, and she's like, hey, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is a place where you ought to worship. Again, so much in that we could unpack. It's beautiful. But what's she do now? She turns to religion. Right? You have this secular kind of like half-breed Jew who's, who's like living in all this dark sin, and then her next step is to go, well, let's use religion. And we do that with God too. We, we do all of these tactics with God. God's trying to do something in our life. We perceive that he's moving, that he's doing something. And like, it's, it's almost like um, we're ambassadors negotiating a deal with God. It's like, okay, well, I'll be more religious then, you know? And God's like, no, I'm actually trying to change you. I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to transform your life right here. I actually don't just need you to be a better Christian or member or whatever. Like, I, that's not what I'm trying to do. We do this with God. We make deals with him. That's what she does. She just runs the play. Humanity's play. Secularism doesn't work. We'll turn to religion. All the while, the God of heaven, the creator and sustainer of the universe is face to face with her. 
she wants to go to logistics again. She, she doesn't want to go to grace. She wants to go to the law, and she wants to talk about where worship should be. And so Jesus, he cuts in there. He's like, listen, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He helps her see and us see that his plan's unfolding, which is actually in Acts chapter 1-8, when he tells the disciples after his resurrection, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is actually starting that plan right now, isn't he? He's in Samaria, Acts 1-8. Little bit out, little bit out, little bit out. And he's like, this is the way that it's gonna be. This is the way the gospel's going to unfold. She, she couldn't have known what he was saying. So what happens? What happens to this woman as he's talking to her and he's talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth? God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, <laughs> he who is called Christ. And it's like she's just a robot, like with her, 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 her inputs and her, and her um, programming, right? Like she's just like, I know, even at this point, she's like, I know that the Messiah is coming. She turns like functionally agnostic for a minute. She's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. Uh, you know, Jesus, this Messiah guy, he's gonna come sometime. We'll figure it out then, you know? Like, that's just kind of where she gets. She's finally, maybe, at the end of herself when Jesus drops the bomb of 25. He says, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Something happened between that last verse and maybe in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. In seven words, the scales that covered her eyes to keep her from the truth of the gospel, the scales that covered her heart to keep her from experiencing the living Christ fell with that good news. They fell just like they did for me, just like they did for me to see now my sin and to see the, the risen Christ as the solution to that sin, the only path of forgiveness, the only way to God is the gospel, to see in that moment the miraculous, infectious grace of God poured out on this woman to feel the security of the God of heaven stepping into my life and saying, here's grace. Just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, you know, like that whole thing, they're coming back, they're like, what, what happened here, you know? In verse 14, Jesus says, here's what I wanna do. She hears it, she doesn't receive it. And then 17 to 18, Jesus tells her who she is. It's like, this is what I wanna do, I wanna save you. Like, listen, you need saving, you're lost. He tells her who she is. And then in 25, he reveals who he is. 
He reveals who he is. And I don't know if you know the rest of the story, but in this process of hearing God's grace and Jesus confronting her of her own sin and seeing salvation in Christ, this woman transforms. She transforms completely. In verse 28, she left her water jar and she went back into town and she told everyone, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And she went from hiding in the shadows in one moment to being this evangelist full of God's spirit to an entire town that probably is ashamed of her. In a moment, she's transformed by the grace of God. And what this tells us this morning is that Jesus is not looking for the intellectual elite. He's not looking for those with the highest moral strength. He's looking for tired, desperate, desperate degenerates like you and me to pour out his grace on lavishly. And he offers us that grace today. He offers, he longs to satisfy our minds with truth of who he is. He longs to satisfy our hearts in experiencing him. Jesus seeks this woman out. She didn't find him at a well. She doesn't know the gift of God. She doesn't really understand what's happening, but she is talking to the right person. She is talking to the right person. So Jesus pursues her as he pursues you today. He pursues her as he pursues you today. And from that moment on, what mattered most in her life was not her past, not who she was or what she had done or how she had failed, but who Jesus is in the geyser of grace that he created in her life and poured it out on her. And he moves into the town for a few days and they experience what she experienced. I've experienced that same geyser. I hope that you have too. And there's a real way as we come to Jesus every day that that same regeneration, that same renewal, that same forgiveness when we continue to get it wrong is offered again and again and again in the gospel. If you don't believe in Jesus today, today is the day of your salvation. Believe in him. And if you're tired and you're getting it wrong, come to the table today and see the risen Savior who's died for, for you, for your failings, for your shame, to offer you eternal forgiveness. Be renewed in the covenant of God's grace that he longs to give you this morning. Would you stand with me as we come to the table of the Lord's Supper this morning? And we do this every week. If you're a Christian, we ask you to come to the table and rip off some of the bread and hear the words spoken over you that this is his body broken for you. Dip it into the juice that represents the covenant of God's forgiveness. And hear the words, this is his blood shed for you. We'll have a prayer team over to my left, a, a giving box out in the back for you. Father, we pray this morning um, for this type of renewal, Lord, for this type of like 
revelation of who you are. Lord, I, I ask like where, we're, where, where our hands are full of every, everything else, you would like empty our hands this morning. You, you'd do what you always do. You'd like expose things that are not good for us because you love us, just like I would do with my children. And, and you don't just like empty our hands and make us be pious religious people with all of our super strength. No, like you fill us with your spirit, with a stream, with a stream of eternal power in your spirit. And so God, fill your people as they come. Make us more like you. And Lord, let the right response of the gospel be that we are witnesses of this grace as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Come as you feel ready.